Good morning, folks. So today we are here with somebody who has graciously agreed to come and talk about like therapy. We have a licensed professional counselor, Paul Gross, otherwise known as PT. Um, he has a he has a master's of science in marriage, family, and child therapy, and he's been practicing for quite a few years. How many years have you been practicing? Uh, almost eight. Okay. So thank you for coming. I appreciate it so much. I'm sorry we had technical difficulties, folks. <laughs> I do got to make one statement. It wasn't the Amish person. Today, it wasn't the Amish person. Yes, I, I got technology today. Okay. Okay. So would you um, like to introduce yourself a little bit more? Sure. Um my name, is, uh, my name is Paul Gross, or, or PT. Um, as you said, been a licensed uh, professional counselor uh, since, well, been, been licensed for three years, but been doing this for almost eight. Um, specialize in LGBTQ, non-traditional families, military, uh, and uh, I could say pagan, but I'd first say just non-Christian therapy um i mean i have a fun i have a bunch of german shepherds because german shepherds are amazing they truly are they bring lots of joy to your life don't they all dogs do that's their job and then they do it very well yes they do that for many people so I asked Paul here because I kind of wanted to t him to talk about like what it's like, like, you know, when, when you get a client that is like maybe Amish or plain, like, what did you know about Amish or plain people? <sighs> to be honest, I had known only what I saw on TV or media and things like that, with the exception of some of the things that I had heard from my spouse. Who had, who was a, who was a, um, a, uh, a doula, or midwife, and she used to work with the Amish folks all the time back in Michigan. Um, whenever, whenever I have something that I don't understand or don't know, I will look it up and do research on it so that I can do the best that I can. But more importantly, I will ask that person. Tell me what your experiences are. Tell me what your thoughts on this are. What's going on with you? Because to be honest, I could read 6,000 books and it still might not pertain to your particular experience or perception. That's a really, really in-depth answer and kind of like talks about like the thing. People are their own experts in their own trauma. Exactly. There's a, a, a clinical theory out there. It's called the theory of change that states that when someone is allowed to be the expert in their own life, which they should be because you've lived it. No one else has. Um, when you're the expert of your own life, you are more at the change at the changes that are suggested or that you want to change or that you need to change. That's pretty powerful. Just to know that. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn about like Amish and plain people? Like what, 
because what did you see on TV? You mentioned TV. Like, I guess first we got to talk about what you saw on TV. I, I had the spectrum, okay? Um, probably one of the first things that I ever watched was, um, I think it was called Escape from Amish on A&E. And uh, that basically, even watching it, I knew it was unrealistic. Very unrealistic. Um, some aspects of it, at least in my opinion, again, my opinion. <laughs> um, one of the ladies there, her name is Mary, and she would continually leave and come back and come back and leave and come back. Uh, she was, she went to New York with her kids and was dancing and having a good time, stuff like that. And, but she came back to her and I don't know how they didn't excommunicate them or remove them because I thought that's what would happen. Um, you know, I, I know some aspects of that show probably had a grain of truth to them, but majority of it, no. Um, then there was a paranormal show that I, it was like, you know, Amish haunting or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. Some silly, goofy name. Um, but basically it was, you know, ghost stories from <laughs> Amish communities. And some of that was like, hmm, that's plausible. And I've, I've actually, you know, I did some more research and said, okay, that could happen, but, but that couldn't happen. <laughs> so, um, and then, of course, there's, you know, news stories that you'll see all the time popping up on the news feed. You know, this happened or that happened. Um, you know, uh, I have a, a family member who deals in deals in um, furniture, and uh, quite exciting. And he's talking about how, you know, the furniture, furniture is great, and they're such wonderful people, and things like that. And I, I, I again did some more digging, and just like with any other group or population, sure, you're going to have some people that are nice and that are that are good. Then you're going to have some that not so much. So I had to take it like I take everything. Each person is taken at their own face value and not based on their culture or you know, anything like that. I can't say, oh, well, you're this. So automatically you're this, 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 and this. Correct. Can't do that. And I've been saying this for a long time. It's like the Amish are just people. And whenever you get a group of people, there is never a group of people that can do no wrong. So we need nope. to look at them as people rather than elevating them to the status of they can do no wrong or, oh, they just make all this good, like, furniture. So what exactly would you call that if, like, you know, a survivor is talking about their abuse stories from the Amish community and somebody responds with, but they make such good furniture? What is that? The furniture's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, so unless they're that... basing their life on the furniture. Is that supporting the survivor? That's not supporting the survivor at all. It's supporting the furniture. Again, each person, just because one group, you know, makes furniture, blankets, produce, all this other stuff, that's great. But how do they treat the people? There's a saying that says, you can tell a lot about a society by how they treat their children and how they treat their elderly. 
and when the elderly are venerated above all things and the children are basically just tossed like like you know hey i'm just going to use you for whatever i can that's not a lot not a lot of good things to say have you seen some of the postings from by thy words of like plain people publications like not necessarily amish but it actually like puts out into um like it's written words of like some of the things like the mindset of like we must spank our children into submission I have until not. they give up but that's oh, it's God. like very much in line and aligned with like amish um theology and what i grew up with mm-hmm. what do you say about that parenting styles so, um again you, you, you can't you can't be a parent the same way to everyone. I have a sister and the way I'm treated or the way that I want to be treated is a lot different than the way she wants to be treated. Correct. So beating me into submission is not going to help me. All it's <laughs> going to do is make me angry and I'm going to close down. She's when I was a kid. Beating my sister in submission, she'll come back at you later with an ex. I mean, it's, isn't it natural body, like natural response, like fight, flight, freeze, fawn mm-hmm. to respond that exactly. way. And everybody's a little different and we all use like certain elements of that. And each person will react differently at different times. You know, yep. if someone had done something like that to me before, I probably just closed down until they were done and then going back to what I was doing now. Uh-uh. I'm going to take that rod from you and I ain't going to spare it. <laughs> you don't believe in sparing the rod. <laughs> Not when you're using it against me. No, I'll take it from you and use it on you. There you go. So, no, I, I don't believe that the spanking the children into submission, I don't believe that that is like in any way acceptable, like breaking their will, all of those terms, like it's just unacceptable. But, like, that's not something that you saw in those TV shows or media shows, did you? Oh, no. No, no, no. And of course not. Coddling and loving and holding and things like that. Um, so, how can they have a, a conscientious objector status? And, you know, <laughs> one of these two does not relate. I, I've always had a problem or an issue with religious exemption. Okay. Always okay. had a problem with religious exemption. I'll, I'll give you a great example. Joel Olstein. Okay. He's this, have you seen this, his mega churches that he has in Texas and stuff like that? Uh, does, this man, does this man need to have a mansion? Why does this man need to have jets and, and everything else? If Jesus was down here right now or... Allah or whoever came down, they'd whoop his ass. Part of my language. But they would come after him and say, dude, no, this is not what I taught. This is not what religion is supposed to be about. Well, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, I don't believe there should be religious exemption for people who are child abusers and perpetrators of abuse like i i don't believe that religion has anything to do with like granting them exemptions from that that's unacceptable no, and, they sh- 
and there should not be exemptions from child abuse and things like that either. Just because your religion does not mean you, just because you're religious and you're part of a religious sect does not give you the right to beat your kids and things like that. There still has to be the law of the land. Well, and I've always found comfort in that one verse that talks about, like, you should obey the government. Yeah. Uh, something about obeying, that's why I said that specifically the way I did, obeying the laws of the land that you are in. Right. Because the government is appointed by God. And if okay. you don't obey the laws of the land, well, then you are effectively disobeying God. That's my theory on it. I, I'm sure that uh, a certain sect of uh, political people would agree the same way from our last outing with the presidency. Yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, on, an, on another note, like, what do you think that people can do rather than, like, do you have any advice as far as, like, parenting? Like, what are things that people can do rather than spanking their children for um, redirecting their child's behavior? When I was, when I was in the military, okay, and I went to Iraq for a year, we were not, you know... We didn't go there and just start blasting. Initially, they did. When I was there, our job was to win the hearts and minds. So, so if you know, we were out doing maneuvers and someone's tank backed over a fence, they'd give them a, a voucher that says, "Hey, go to this place at this time. They'll pay. They'll pay for your fence that we destroyed." You know, so. It's teaching that we're taking really for our, really for our actions. We need to teach our kids the same thing. Model that behavior. We model the behavior that we want to see in our children. You know, if I start punching my kid in the face every time that they did something wrong, they're going to think that that's the answer. Anytime someone does something wrong to me or whatever, I need to punch them in the face. Um, never a good thing. I understand people get angry and things like that, but you can instead say, look, you did this. I don't like how that made me feel. Not only are you getting across to the kid, look, there's a, there's a problem that with your behavior, I didn't like it. Um, I don't want to chastise you for it, but, but I do want you to know that it needs to be corrected because there's consequences to that. And in the same token, like, you can also model, like, taking accountability. Like, if you as a parent, you know, make a mistake taking accountability for that. Mm -hmm. Or you do something that is not what you needed to be doing. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, that's a really good thing. You really don't want to go with the do as I say now. All right, why, I'll bite. Why do you say that? What? Don't do as I do. Do as I say, not as I do. I don't yes. agree with it. Yeah. Why do you not agree with that? It breeds hypocrisy. Explain. It means that I'm not. It does not have personal responsibility. Yet we want our kids to take personal responsibility. So, yeah. it's never like for instance. 
like for instance, the alcoholic father. Okay, he says you go out and drink, go out and drink because it's not responsible and all these other things. Yet he comes home and gets blitzed on beer every night. Okay, so I shouldn't do it, but he's doing it. Again, it's that modeling of behavior. Yep. And how many children of alcoholics grow up to become alcoholics because they are already predisposed to become alcoholics? Yep. And just and just seeing that the action is okay, they're like, okay, I can do it too then. Maybe not right now, but we'll later. Yeah. That's an interesting concept. But thank you. Thank you for enlightening me on that. Um, I, I think another thing that I really wanted to talk about is like, you know, from your side of the bench, like, Where does communication like styles like how do those intermesh within like families and all of that? Communication is one of the vital pillars for any relationship, whether it be familial, uh, uh, romantic, work, French, anything, anything. It has to be, that communication has. To be. It has to be understood the communication style that you have. Um, when I say style, it's how do you communicate and how do you receive communication. Um, a great example is the the husband who will just talk, 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 talk. Like, like, you know, how was your day? Oh well, I got up this morning and it was a lovely it was a lovely day, so I decided I would take the dog for a walk. And while we were out taking the dog for a walk, I saw a squirrel. And surprisingly, the dog didn't chase the squirrel. But we went around the yard, and I said hi to some neighbors, and came back inside, and then realized it's time to get ready for work. So I got work for work. Uh, I picked out the pants and shirt that I wanted to wear. Shower, shower, shave, and then like I just asked how your day was. I didn't ask what your itinerary for every second of the day was. Okay. Then you got this person who says, was your, how was your day? Fine. Yeah. Tumbleweeds roll by. Okay. What made it fine? Oh, well, I was in a pretty good mood. Why were you in a good mood? Oh, well, because this happened and this happened. Okay. Can you tell me more about that? It's almost like a therapy session to have to get more information from that person. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, but there's there's also an element, like, so you're talking about communication styles. Like, does it help you to know, like, what that person that you're talking to, what their communication style is? Personally or professionally? <laughs> I mean, It's both. actually different. Professionally, it's a lot more of I listen. What's important professionally for for communication for me anyway um, is knowing how someone's going to receive what I say. So, for instance, there's some people I need to say, okay, well, why don't you tell me more about that because I think there's something there that we may need to look at. Whereas others, like, what the heck, Bobby? 
what's going on there? No. You know, the sugar coat versus the, the solid stuff. And different people have different styles of the way they want to receive that. So I need to, ver I need to change how I present information to them to best facilitate, again, take the change, take the change. Yeah. If someone comes in and wants me to sugarcoat things, and for some reason I just sugarcoat for them because they need to have the solid truth. They need to have, boom, here it is. Then I can't, I can't uh, sugarcoat that at all. They, yeah. they may not get as much out of it. So I may need to say, you know what, you can, I need to send to somebody else. I can, won't be as, gen won't be as genuine. Sense, sense. So, um, that's basically saying like you you need to pay attention to your clients and like yeah. figure out I, what they need. Yeah, I can sugarcoat. Don't get me wrong. I can I can say, you know, let me hold your hand and talk about this, and we can go a little further. And, you know, all the range up to, let's get out on there, yeah. talk on us more. You know, but it's it's knowing when to use certain language, certain voices, certain tones, yes. which is a lot different than conversation with somebody else. You know, the conversation with a spouse may be, I have to draw those questions out and say, okay, what made your day fine? Mm -hmm. What are your plans for tonight? Okay, cool. Uh, how are we doing that? You know, boom, 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 boom. Right. Because that's a whole different type of relationship. You're one, you're talking about a professional relationship, and then two, you're talking about an intimate relationship. Right. Although and there's so, a whole thing about intimacy we can talk about later. Later. Okay. And and then you mentioned like pillars of relationships. So what are the pillars of relationships? You got communication. You have to have that communication. Openness and honesty. You have to have the openness and honesty. You have to have trust. And you have to have, this is a big one that a lot of people can get, get messed up on, is consent. So, communication, mm -hmm. openness and honesty, mm -hmm. trust, mm -hmm. and consent. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about each one of those steps? No. No. Of course I can. <laughs> of course I can. <laughs> I want you to talk about those because I think those are really important and it could be very helpful for the audience. Openness and honesty. You have to be willing when you're going to be in any kind of relationship with somebody, whether it's a work relationship or a romantic relationship or a family relationship, and you want it to work. Um, communication is, you know, is is the vital part, but. Uh, openness and honesty, being willing to open up and say, okay, maybe I'm wrong or I can see your point. Um, being open to other ideas and being honest with your ideas and yourself. If you're not honest with yourself and your partner and the way you feel about things or anything like that, you're not going to get very far with the communication, which means you're not going to get very far with the relationship. So that openness and that honesty um, it has to be there the trust you have to be able to trust each other that you're going to be open and honest so that you can communicate properly 
all these different pillars kind of build off of each other. But without one, you're not going to have the others very much, or else not for very long. Um, you know, I'll, I'll trust that this person's going to keep their word to me. I'll trust that when they say something, it's going to be what they mean. All these different parts of the trust. Um, and then, of course, consent. This person's not going to do anything to me, about me, for me, without my consent to say, yes, you can talk about me in this situation. Um, I'll give you a great example. Uh, my wife, my spouse, she's bigender. Okay. Normally it's like, oh, you broke the trust because she said she, she trusted you with that secret. Da, da, da. You know what? She gave me consent that I can talk to people about that. Which is and beautiful. It is. You know, she trusts that I'm not going to use it for a weapon or anything like that because quite too, too often people can use uh, information, secrets, yep. things like that that they're given as a weapon against their, somebody else. Yep. You know, if I, if I told someone, um, you know, I, I really don't like Cadillacs and someone bought me a Cadillac. Don't buy me a Cadillac, by the way. <laughs> but someone bought me a Cadillac. They're going to say, he doesn't like Cadillacs. And that can cause all kinds of fights. That's just a broad example. Well, here's one for you. I got one. Mm -hmm. I don't like surprises. Okay. Mm -hmm. Everybody that I know and interact with in real life knows this. And you know that they specifically do not require or even create surprises for me or all of that without like there's there's like just never they don't I don't consent to that and they don't do that to me right and I appreciate that every single day like that is a big deal right that's consent that's trust openness honesty and communication yes that's all four pillars right there which I think is quite amazing and what I want people to know, if you're listening to this, you deserve to have relationships and friendships that are like that. Consent also implies consensuality. Mm -hmm. Just because one person in the relationship, I'll, I'll use intimate uh, uh, sexual relationships or romantic relationships. Just because one person wants to have sex doesn't mean the other one has to have it with them. There has to be that consent. There has to be that trust that, you know, you're not going to take advantage of me or anything like that. Uh -uh. Yep. And the, the bottom also, line is children cannot consent. Right. And it also needs to be communicated that, hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, we're going to get together and we're not going to have sex. But yes, children. The thought is that the mind is not developed enough to understand the consequences of the action. You could have a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old who seems very mature, but they don't understand the consequences. So for them to actually give consent for things, how come they can't drink? How come they can't vote? How come they can't join the military? Because they don't understand the consequences. So why should these other things be allowed? They cannot give consent because they 
do not understand the consequences of it. And yes. It's not fair to the child. Yes. Children cannot consent to sexual activity. Yes. Exactly. I agree. Exactly. 1,000% I agree. I will, however, discuss self-exploration just a little bit. Um, however, that does not mean allowing others to explore you because you, there's just, there's not the understanding of the consequences of what's going on. And even self-exploration needs to have its limits. Mm -hmm. And you should never shame your child for self-exploration. That's my exactly. personal opinion. Right. Because when you do that, you, you cause them to have a very unhealthy relationship towards things that are natural in life. So I, I feel like that's that's really just an unacceptable thing to do is shame your children for having those desires. Right. Instead of shaming, discuss. That's part of that yes. openness and honesty. Openness. Yes, yes. So now we're talking about openness, honesty, consent, all of these things. Wow. This is interesting. I wonder if anybody has any questions. If you have questions, please leave it in the comments and we will talk about those. Um, but I have one question. What would Just you one? say? I have a few. What okay. would you say to any um, currently Amish and plain people with what you have learned about them? Like, what, what would you say to them? There's a lot. Okay. Um when it comes to religion, things like that, I personally am not religious. I am spiritual. I'm not a big fan of organized religion. Organized spirituality, there's no such thing. However, when like-minded individuals come together, great things can be done. What I would say to anyone out there who, you know, is Amish playing, whatever, you are allowed to be autonomous. Can okay. you explain what autonomous means? Your own person. Okay. I know that in the Bible, quite a bit, people are referred to as, you know, sheep, where the the big kahuna is referred to as the shepherd. You know, I'm going to shepherd my flock and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Don't literally be a sheep. <laughs> okay? Um, just because someone says you have to do this, please show me where. Please show me where it says that you have to be this, you have to do this. Because I can guarantee, as you, saw, as you said before, I'm working on my Ph.D., and a lot of that is doing research. If you give me a topic, I can find three things that support it and three things that deny it. Mm -hmm. Very simply. So if someone says to me, well, you know, God says that I could have sex with my children. I can find three things that says, no, it doesn't. What about the story of the uh, man being stoned in the Bible hmm. for raping someone? 
if we were to keep with what it says in the Bible, a lot of things wouldn't be happening right now. And I know that there's Christians who are waiting for Jesus' return. If he were to come back right now, he wouldn't be allowed to cross the border. He'd be considered a Muslim radical who would not be allowed to cross the border. Because the fact doesn't have a passport. I find that a little bit sad, truthfully. I find oh, it very yeah. sad. I'm not Christian by any means. Uh, I'm, you know, card-carrying, tree-hugging, dirt-munching, bunny-thumping, all kinds of things, pagan. Uh, I'm very proud of that fact. But I also understand other, other religions and spiritualities. And there are people who are Christian who are amazing, and I love them. Right. But there's also people who... There was a comedian named Mike Warrenkey. Okay. And I remember hearing his albums back when I was, I was a little kid. Um, my mom was a diehard Christian. And she bought these albums. And he's a Christian comedian. He used to be a Satanist. He used to be a drug abuser. All these other things. Um, and he talked about playing a plastic Jesus game. Where I'm going to do all the right things and say all the right things. But deep down I really don't feel it. And that's with any religion or any spirituality. I'm going to appear to be doing the right things. But deep down, uh-uh, not doing it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do how I want to do it. And I don't care who gets hurt in the process. And like we, you know, talking about with, with, with Amish folks and some of the things that have been in the news very recently. Um, children, no, off limits. Using children for labor, using children for sex, using children for all these different things. Again, they cannot consent. They already have that openness, that honesty, that trust with you. When that's broken, what have you done? And who else are you not going to be open and honest with? Who else are you not going to allow to have consent? And these things are just going to, going to propagate to them. They're not going to be allowed to have trust. They're not going to be allowed to have openness. They're not going to think that they can have the ability to have to give consent first. So when I talk about autonomy, you're in charge of you. No one else. I know people say, well, I, I, I need to put my, my religion first. Okay. When your religion conflicts with personal values and you find yourself saying, is this really what I should be doing? Well, I should do it anyway because the because the Bible says this. Just remember, the Bible says, "Love thy neighbor," but the Bible also says, "Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live." The Bible also says that if any of these were to harm a child, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung from him his neck and him to be thrown in the deepest depths of the sea. Exactly. So I tell you what, the sea is pretty scary. Yeah. Even without a millstone. Yep. And and then so. the other question that I had, thank you for that. That's very in-depth. Um, I appreciate it. But the other question that I have for you is like, what would you say to a mental health provider who has never had any contact with plain people or maybe just been around them and seen like the furniture and the bread and kind of like been in your position? What would you say to them? 
Enjoy the bread. Enjoy the bread. Enjoy the blankets. But you know what? Listen to what your client is saying. Again, you're the expert. Whether it's Amish, whether it's anything. Okay? Someone's hearing voices. I've had to clarify with people, what do you mean you're hearing voices? Tell me about it. Whenever someone hears the phrase hearing voices, they automatically think, okay, this guy's talking to Elvis. Cuckoo ward. No, I've actually had to have, I've actually let people explain what do you mean that you're hearing voices? What's that mean to you? He says, oh, well, it's an inner dialogue I have with myself. Great. Have that inner dialogue. That's not to mean you're crazy. It's when that inner dialogue takes over and starts telling you to do things you shouldn't be doing or don't want to do. That's when, you know, that's when Elvis is talking to you. But I, any mental health practitioner, I would say, listen to what your client is saying. Their experience is, is what you're going to base things off of. Okay? I'm not going to base, if someone comes to me who's Amish, I am not going to base my treatment of them on the paranormal show that I watched that has to do with Amish people. Okay. As easy as that would be, yeah. I'm not, if I have someone of color come to my office, I'm not going to base my treatment off of the Cosby show. Yep. Okay. Like we talked about before, each person is individual and you have to take them as an individual. That being said, each person has to realize that they are an individual. They don't have to be part of a collective. We're not the Borg from Star Trek, where assimilation is futile. You're going to be assimilated. Resistance is futile. No. When it comes down to it in the very end, you have one person, and that's you. I don't want to tell you not to have faith. I don't want to tell you not to have belief in higher powers. Okay? I believe in higher powers. But what I do want to tell you is have a little faith in yourself, too, because that's who you're going to have in the end. If I can quote the Bible again and say the Lord helps those who help themselves. You know, that's a really good note to end this on, if you would like. We have no I questions. Got, I, got, I got no questions. I feel. <laughs> you feel good? You got no questions? No, I feel I, I feel hurt that no one wants to ask me questions. No. <laughs> well, you're really good at explaining all of these things. Like, what? What are they going to ask? I don't know. You can ask anything. You can ask mental health questions. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I did have another question. Like, now sure. that I think about it, because I was thinking about ending it, but um, I have another question that is like, how. When when people have had trauma, like what types of therapy are available for them? There are a lot of different types of therapy. Uh, do not be afraid to explore because um, whenever I hear trauma, okay, there's two things that I think of. One is talk therapy. We're going to discuss your trauma. We're going to see how it affects you. How can we cope with it? What can we do to lessen this effect on you and things like that? I also think of a, of a treatment called EMDR, which is Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. EMDR is pretty powerful um, in that it either works really well or it does nothing and just makes you angry. Okay. Um, 
EMDR is an amazing uh, therapy type. I've seen it be used for kinds of different kinds of things from there's actually a lady on TV. And again, TV, yay. Um, there's a lady on TV who was pregnant and she decided that she was not going to have children. She was not going to deliver this baby because she was terrified. She went through EMDR and after the sessions were done, she was ready and she had natural childbirth without any medication whatsoever. Just smooth, nice, good to go. I've also seen where EMDR, maybe not going through all of it, like uh, some of the basics of EMDR are being able to do, do a creative visualization where you enter into yourself, create a scene where you feel safe, where nothing can affect you. And there's a whole lot more to it than that. But that's like the beginning stages of it. You know, that's something that I teach and that I talk about. I don't do EMDR myself because I'm not trained in it. So um, don't don't try to make an appointment with me to go see EMDR because I'll have to turn it yeah. to somebody else. But uh, EMDR can be useful. Believe it or not, ECT. Most folks say, well, what's ECT? Shock therapy. Okay. Now, shock therapy isn't like you saw in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where they put the prods on your head, stick the thing in your mouth, and juice you up, and next thing you know, you're a vegetable walking around. Um, at one of the hospitals I work at, worked at uh, before, they did ECT there. They still do. And it can be so helpful for, for traumatic events, depression, things like that. It's like hitting a reset button. Okay. Most folks think, well, if I get ECT, I'm going to lose all my memories and stuff like that. Not necessarily. Um, you have short-term memory loss for about half an hour because you're having electricity go through your body and your head. However, it's, it's, it's a short-term thing, and it does come back. So talk therapy, EMDR, even ECT to a, to a bit, but trauma therapy, you need there's a lot involved with, with trauma therapy. The most important one is finding the therapist who does what you need them to do. When I say we need them to do, I've, I've had people come to me and say, hey, I want to work on this. And their idea of working on it is just sitting there and talking about video games. I'm like, this isn't therapeutic. This is cool. I'm getting good tips on a video game, but it's not therapeutic. I need to be more hardcore with you. And they're like, well, if you're going to be hardcore, I'm not going to come. Well, you're not going to get better. Or just talking about it, they start breaking down. Um, I could also mention um, psychodrama, which can be pretty powerful as well. Um, psychodrama is, there's different aspects of it, like empty chair therapy, where, for instance, in my office, I've got a four-foot stuffed bear, okay? And I use him in therapy. He takes the place of somebody who has caused somebody else trauma. This person is allowed to say the things that they couldn't say or just I had somebody who uh, I'll give an example because I can I can give generals but I can't give whatever 
somebody who had a friend that committed suicide. They never got to say goodbye to them and tell them how they felt. They never got that closure. This kind of therapy allows them to have that closure. Hey, you, this is what happened when you left. And it can be really powerful. But again, you need to find a therapist who does the things that you want to do and need, and need them to do. And just like we said, the four pillars, communication. Do they communicate with you in the way they want, that, that you want them to? Do you trust them? Is there openness and honesty and consent? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't shove um, a psychodrama on somebody who didn't give me consent. Only because it can cause more trauma. So if you are suffering from trauma, talk to a therapist. There are therapists who specialize just in trauma. You know, and they don't all do EMDR. They don't all do psychodrama. Um, I, I even recommend sometimes medication. But the thing about medication, and this is how I look at it. Again, your mileage may vary. When it comes to medication, medication's got two roles. One, to suppress things like voices, homicidal, suicidal urges, things like that. Another thing that medication does, takes the edge off so that talk therapy, coping skills, things like that can work. If I give, if I give somebody grounding skills and they're unable to use them because they're so, you know, they're so out there, mm -hmm. let's take some medication, get you back to what you call baseline, then we can do some skills and work on that. That's amazing. Um, we have some questions for you. Yeah. Are you ready? Bring it. You feel better? Have you experienced a language barrier when trying to have a therapeutic relationship with someone whose first language is not English? Are there times when the client patient simply doesn't have the words to talk to you about their experiences? And how do you deal with that? Yep. Um, Language is an exchange of ideas. We don't necessarily have to exchange language as much as we need to exchange ideas. Exchanging ideas is them being able to write it, draw it, act it out, give to me an example. Um, several times I've had people say, I don't have the words for this. And these are English speakers. It's their first, I, I don't have the words to describe what's going on. Okay, well, let's, let's describe feeling. Let's, let's describe what happens after. So if English isn't the first language, I had an individual who was deaf, and I, I only know rudimentary sign language. Um, not enough to get through a therapy session, but exchanging ideas in a different way. When it comes to someone whose English is not their first language, they may not have the words for it. Sometimes a concept in one language does not translate to another language. Let's instead look at how it affects you or how it affects those around you or the feelings that it invokes. Let's deal with that. We don't need to have the exact, this is this. You know what? I can't, I can't describe what it is, but here's what happens with it. Here's what I experience from it. 
here's what hits me. Here's what gets me. Here's what happens. Here's what others say happens. And we can work from that. That makes sense. So like you're trying to more or less, um, you're going to find a way around it to kind of like communicate about the issues that arise with the situation where the person's unable to um, communicate what it is that's that happened because they don't have the words for it in English. Right. There may not be words for sexual assault. No, that was, that was, I was told that that was loving. No, that's sexual assault. Instead of being that brash about it, of course, no, let's tell me what happened. What did you feel from it? Well, I felt violated. I felt dirty. I felt that I was used. I didn't, I, I didn't get to say what I wanted. I didn't give consent for this. Now, they may not have the words for sexual assault. You know, it's like I said, even with children, talking with children, they don't know. A six-year-old may not know what sexual assault is, but they know that what happened to them did not make them feel good. And the feelings that are associated with that. I don't trust this person anymore. I don't like that person. I don't want to be around them. They scare me. These are all feelings and, and such that are associated with sexual assault, even though you don't know what sexual assault is. So just because you don't have a word for it or a label for it, let's instead look around it and see what it does to you. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Kind of like trying to like bridge that gap where it's like, even though you don't have the term for it, there's still a way to talk about it and help you with it. Right, exactly. What's it, what does it make you feel? What does it make others feel? What does it make you do? What does it make others do? What do you notice? What do you notice? Yeah. And so that's that's one way to like bridge a language gap. Yeah, and patience. I have to have patience. That other person has to have patience too. Understanding, we're there to solve a problem. We're not there to say, oh yeah, it's this. Well, no, it's this. Well, no, it's this doesn't matter what it is. What's it doing to you? And how's it making you feel? Let's concentrate on that. Hey, um, I think um, we're at the time that you said you have to go. If you got more questions, you can ask them. That's okay. I have more time. You have more time? Okay. I'll give I you have, more time for questions. I have more time. I have a question. So when you... Um, When you talk about these barriers and you talk about like children, so how, when children don't have words for their private body parts in their own language, what, what does that do? I mean, it makes it difficult, but that's why we have stand-ins. You know, I'm not going to say show me, but I will say here. Here's a, here's a toy. And usually I have an anthropomorphic. When I say that, it's like a, I'll have a, a dog with a human form or something like that or close to a human form to say, show me on this, on this animal. Mm -hmm. 
you know, tell me what it feels like. Tell me what, what, what you experienced. And because again, what I experience is going to be vastly different from what someone else experiences. That's so the truth. If, it, if it's just, I, I don't know what to call it. Well, without violating yourself, show me on this, on this, uh, on this stuffed dog where it is. You know, stuffed dogs, they have the same, basic same human form. They have two legs, two arms, and a head. Show me where on this dog. Now, if they point to the tail, I'm going to say, you have a tail? Cool. <laughs> but if they say it was right here or here or here. Oh, thank you, Megan. Thank you. I hope it helps somebody out there. Uh, I think um, that's, I'll, I'll talk to you offline about something regarding that, but that actually, thank you for answering that question because I, I have some other questions that I don't want to talk about here. Uh, but sure. that one, like, there is a, I don't know how to word this exactly. So, like, you might have to use your skills right now. But okay. there's this thing about, like, when you go to a therapist. So, I had this kind of like less than desirable experience where it's like they, um, the mental health professional that I was seeing at one point in time, like one um, was very unprofessional. Um, if, if it would happen to me today, I would report them to the board because that's unacceptable and you should never do that to a client. But you know, I have scars on my arms and I went to this therapist and she said, I will not work with you unless you admit to self-harming on your arms. And those scars are not scars from self-harming. Those scars are scars from being violently raped for many years. So what do you what do you suggest for somebody in that situation? What are their options that they have legally and morally and ethically for themselves? That's that's an individual choice. I mean, if I if I had cuts on my arms from a similar situation and they said, I'm not gonna work with you unless you you know, tell me how you're self harming. I would probably get very violent, very irate, not to the point where I throw things, but and say, look, that's not what this is. You don't even know anything about me, and you're already making judgments. If you've got someone who's saying things like that, what else are they going to make judgments about? What else are they going to say, oh, well, this. I've had plenty of people who come into my office and have cuts on their upper arm here or along their, along their wrists. Or if in the summertime they wear shorts, I can see the cuts on their, on their leg. I'll notice that. I'll look at it. I'll make a note about it. And at an appropriate time, I'll say, I couldn't help but notice you have some cuts. Would you like to talk about those? Consent. What are, you know, what are those about? Exactly. Consent. Anybody you deal with, your boss, your boyfriend, your wife, your kids, your mother, your father, the person on the bus, doesn't matter who, those four things are what you need to look at when you're going to talk with somebody. You know, do I have consent to ask this question? I, I deal with a lot of transgender individuals, and I say to them, you're going to be asked questions. You do not have, do not have to answer them. It's consent. You know, people come back and report to me, 
I was asked if I, you know, I, I, someone who transitions from male to female, and I say, I was asked if I still have a penis. I said, what'd you tell them? Well, I didn't know what to say. I said, you can ask them if they still have theirs. Because you did not consent to that question and you don't have to answer that question, period. Exactly. That is just because, you. just because someone is trans, if I met somebody for the first time who was Amish, I, I wouldn't say to them, hey, can you make me a blanket and some jelly? <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Is your furniture homemade? No, I wouldn't say that because that's, that's generalization and that's asking questions that probably, you know, I, I've had people who, who escaped that. Who I've had people who escaped Christianity. And I say Christianity escaped Christianic cults. And I wouldn't say, have you talked to Jesus today? No. No, but I did talk to Elvis. Oh, okay. Let's okay. talk about that. So what you're saying is that consent comes from both. Like you, you're able to decline to answer questions. You're able to like say, no, I don't feel comfortable talking about this. Or I'm able to like, you know, choose what I'm going to do in this situation, I can either explain this to a person or I can never go back to them or I can like. Right. You have the options of saying, you know, hey, do you still have your penis? You have the option of explaining to them, no, I don't. I had surgery or I'm not going to get surgery. So, yes, I do. Or saying, what business is it of yours? Or explaining to them. That's probably not a question that you should ask somebody because how would you feel if someone came up to you and asked you about your your sexual organs? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, or just hit them with a book bag. You know, I all mean, these different options you have. Hitting them with a book bag—that's not really recommended now, is it? No, because it's not consent. Even <laughs> <laughs> if you consent to smack them with a book bag, but you have a lot of options on how you can do it. I used to work at a prison and I put forth to the guys, if someone punches you, what do you do? I'm like you punch back. I'm like, okay, what are some other options? Walking away, asking them why they did it, getting uh, the guard, having somebody else whip their butt. There's all these different options that you have to do it. Our first reaction isn't always the best. So if someone says to you, you know, if you're transgender, someone says, hey, do you still have your penis? Again, your, your first reaction may be to go, but you well, don't have to. Yeah, I got it home in a jar. I take it out for party tricks. <laughs> I mean, this is hilarious, but yes, um, no, like basically it's people have the option and they have choices and they don't have to actually answer those questions either. They're allowed to not answer those questions if they don't want to. They don't have to. It goes back, it goes back to that autonomy we talked about. Yeah. Where you are your own individual. You, people are under the assumption that they owe things to other people. Okay? Yeah. You don't. You do not owe sex you don't owe them you know, all these different things. You owe them money, but you don't owe them explanations or anything. 
No, you really don't. Do you have any parting thoughts? We are at the time. Okay. Um, um, just if you need help, seek it. Don't be afraid to talk to one, more than one therapist. Okay, Talk to a couple. See who you're comfortable with. Get referrals because a lot of times if someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm looking for this in a therapist, I can say, okay, give me about uh, four days and I can find somebody for you who fits that bill. So don't be afraid to, to shop around and get what you want. If you're going out car shopping and you're looking for a Jeep, you're not going to settle for a, a, a Ford Escort. You know, yeah. Get what you want because this is your mental health and it's the most important thing out there. I would like to echo that. You're a very important person and you deserve to have healthy yep. relationships. And part of that is comes from maintaining mental health care and you deserve mental health care. And on that note, I hope everybody has a great day. Bye. Bye.